Welcome to Therapists Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real-life matters. Hi, welcome to Therapists Uncensored. This is episode 30, and we're going to look at the stages of change. We're going to see how it impacts addiction and any problematic behavior. You know, a topic on many people's mind is change. And we haven't talked much about addiction and how hard that change is. And I'm wondering, let's use that idea of change and addiction to really develop a deeper understanding of it and just a deeper understanding of how do you change anything. That's exactly right. 20 years ago, uh, these two addiction researchers, De Clemente and Prochaska, they put their ideas together about uh, what they were observing. And it started out about addiction, specifically chemical addiction, but then it was applied to smoking cessation and HIV Overeating. and domestic violence even, all kinds of uh, different things that people wanted to change. And um, it's called the five stages of change. And back when I used to work in the criminal justice system and in um, addiction treatment specifically, we use this all the time. But I actually still find that I use it in clinical practice and on myself. So we thought that this would be a good thing to talk about um, whether you are you know, struggling with addiction or not. Or whether someone you love is and you're trying to figure out how do I help? You know, how do you help people who really want to make a change or you think they should be making a change? I so, think it's it's also people who don't want to make a change. Right. But are doing a behavior that's really harmful for themselves or others. And sometimes their family, their partner, the court system says they have to come in and work with a therapist and they're just not ready to do it. That's exactly right. Folks that are uh, assigned to involuntary treatment, this is especially relevant. But sometimes involuntary treatment looks like that you're the spouse of someone who's dragging you into couples therapy. Exactly. So, <laughs> that's, a, that's the latest version of it uh, in my current iteration of my uh, professional life. Uh, so we're going to first go over those five stages of change, and then I'm going to tell you uh, my version of it and sort of Sue speak about it. You know, it's so simple. It's really simple. It reminds me of the Cartman's Triangle. If you haven't heard that episode yet, uh, it's simple, but it ends up being, uh, can be deeply meaningful. So the first stage, if you think about, of change is what? It's not changing, right? It's pre-contemplation. It's, it's, well, You're resisting to changing. You're it's rebellious. A, it's inertia. Yes. Or you're just unaware. Or everyone wants you to, ch yeah, or, yeah, did we already say rebellion, resistance, resignation? You, you, you know you should, but you can't. Yes. And you're helpless and hopeless about it. Right? You don't believe you can change, so why bother? That's right. I think we can all think of different things in our lives that we've sort of been there. You're not trying. Mm -hmm. I think I see this oftentimes when you think about it, when you have somebody you love a lot and you could tell if we get into addiction specifically, we can tell that their addiction, that their drinking or their smoking is really causing themselves and people around them pain, but they're unaware of it or they really keep themselves unaware of it. That's an example. Yeah. They're in denial. Yeah. So another example that I can think of is, you know, you're a hundred pounds overweight and you think there is no chance of getting back in shape. So you don't care and you pound down the whole bag of Oreos and you are not trying at all. That's pre-contemplation. Because it's just why bother? Kind of a hopelessness. It's not that you don't want to have lost that hundred pounds, but the concept of ever moving in it is just not in your body. That's right. And we're going to roll back around to kind of what to do about these different things in just a moment. 
but it's important because a lot of times people assume that people are wanting to change and then they see and then they misrecognize what this is. So uh, the stage after pre-contemplation is contemplation, which is that, okay, we're considering doing something about this now. Um, and, um, and then after that is determination, then action, and then maintaining that change. So just to go through that very quickly, pre-contemplation, contemplation, determination, like making that decision. Setting the intention. Setting the intention. And it's only when you get to number four that you actually do anything. Right. So there's a whole lot that happens before the movement. And then five is like actually keeping it going. So um, let me translate this into Sue speak for a second because it's just easier for me to talk about it because it's how I think about it. So my version of it is that there's sort of the unconscious dysfunctional behavior. So talking, let's apply it to addictions. Let's say I'm drinking too much and I don't know that I'm drinking too much and I'm blissfully happy with my drinking. Yeah. I'm none the wiser. Or no people. problem. Everybody you know drinks like you do. Exactly. And I'm, people that are identifying it as uh, they're exaggerating. They're right. kind of being ridiculous. Right. Everybody does this. Mm-hmm. That is the, okay, hold on. What am I saying? So that's the conscious, no, unconscious dysfunctional behavior. Um, I can stay there for many, 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 many years. So it goes from unconscious dysfunctional to conscious dysfunctional. So then I become aware that I have a drinking problem. But I don't do a darn thing about it. I keep drinking, um, and I. But now might, you feel bad about it, right? I might stare into my margarita and know that I really shouldn't have another and order another, <laughs> um, and I begin to have thoughts and feelings about it. But I'm not going. But I'm going to keep drinking. So it's moved in your consciousness, your conscious awareness, but you're maintaining the thing that's not healthy, and you know you want to change. That's so right. that's how it becomes a conscious dysfunction. That's exactly right. And a lot of times something has happened that's mm-hmm. moved it from unconsciousness to consciousness. Maybe a loved one has complained. Maybe I've gotten a DWI um, or a PI. Or you got arrested. Or I've gotten, yeah, that's right. Or um, health problems. People start to pull away or become I've more lost irritable. a relationship, lost mm-hmm. a job. That's exactly right. So, so reality begins to set in. Something happens that 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 pops it into awareness. But I'm not. But again, notice I haven't. I'm still drinking. Then stage three is when I'm. You know, I can then move back into. Oh, screw that! You know, those cops just had something against me. I'm going to move back into. Um, and into conscious, unconscious dysfunctional behavior. I can go back into that, but my hope would be, and what we want to do is move into conscious functional behavior. So it's going to be a lot of effort and I'm going to be thinking about it and I'm going to be very aware of it. I'm going to be working hard, but I move from, um, conscious dysfunctional to conscious functional behavior. You're all following it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that what, what I think I hear you saying is in that stage, you really are attempting to do something. You're thinking about it. You're moving on it. You might even kind of tip your toe in it. I'm not going to, and we start doing trial and error. And you anticipate this probably, you think you're going to be successful. It's kind of getting back to the habit. I'm going to start on Monday concept. And we think, okay, I'm not going to drink all week long. And we start on Monday and we are tipping our toe in it, but we haven't gone over into the determination to do it. It's just like, I'm going to test the waters, but I'm going to pull my toe back. Well, yeah, you make a great point, which is that I don't necessarily stay in conscious functional behavior. Right. I might flip back into conscious dysfunctional behavior. Um, this isn't a linear line that goes straight across that I might bounce back and forth between these. 
Um, and just to, um, you know, if I can stay here long enough in conscious functional behavior, the hope is that I'll go to unconscious functional behavior. Um, then that, so that's the end of that, of that spectrum, which it, so it goes from con, unconscious, 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 dysfunctional, conscious, dysfunctional, conscious, functional to unconscious functional. That's the spectrum. And I like to put a, a sort of a point in the middle, which is between that conscious dysfunctional and conscious functional, there has to be a decision, an intention set. Someone has to make an actual decision to quit, to change. And there's, you know, I like to mark that point. Yes, that's great. And that goes back to the De Clemente where the, you know, there's a few more of those uh, stages. Um, so is that clear? Is that too many words? No. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. So, yeah, let, well, now why don't we fill it in to what we do about all these different stages? It's exactly your question earlier, Patty. Um, do you guys have any thoughts? So we could either go, you know, talk about the pre, you know, use that language pre-contemplation, contemplation, or the Sioux language of uh, the conscious, unconscious dysfunctional, unconscious dysfunctional. Like when we, so if it's you, listener, that are in, um, you know, if you're, you wouldn't be aware if you're doing unconscious dysfunctional behavior, but you would be aware if you're if you know that you're doing something that isn't good for you, right? Um, so maybe so a listener, if we think about it, maybe a listener might be sitting out there, kind of being aware either themselves. This is maybe pricking their knowledge or their thought of their own drinking or their own smoking or their own eating, and maybe you can go inside your own body. Like, is this making you feel a little bit of discomfort? Like, ah, uh, you know, I probably am drinking too much, where you can kind of feel it. seems like one of the reasons to understand these stages, one of the most important reasons, is to have some level of insight, to not just see yourself, for example, as a failure if you go into one of the stages and then revert back. That's exactly right. And also, if it's your loved one, a partner, a family member that you see struggling with some of this too, remember three of the Clemente stages was before any action was taken. So there can be a lot going on before the cigarettes put down or the alcohols put down or what have you. Um, and so let's get to what we can do. So like, let's say someone is not even considering changing yet. Uh, if you see that in your practice, what kinds of things might you all do in a situation like that? Well, I think it's really important not to push them because that just brings up their defenses. So it's about telling them it's their decision, trying to understand what their thoughts are. So a lot of sort of exploring. Well, and if they're in the very first stage where they were seeing it as unconscious and they're not really aware of it and they're just saying, God, my wife wants me to be here and it's really ridiculous, they're exaggerating, um, it's really important to just stay with them and how hard that would be to be in that place where people are misunderstanding and to help them explore and go through their own journey in it. Because if you jump too quickly over, well, come on, let's look at this. And you try to help them, you try to push them too fast, like you're saying, Patty, into the next stage, you're going to push them away. You're going to revert that back. I think that's exactly right. And again, I think about um, involuntary clients and to, you know, in, in our current life, it might be the spouse or the boyfriend or the girlfriend that doesn't want to be there. Um, or the adolescent <laughs> that's dragged in. And in both of those cases, you know, the first thing that I like to do is just join with them. It's like, yeah, it sucks to be here. Um, you know, tell me how bad it is. And really just try to find their open window of, um, 
you know, when I used to do more work with involuntary clients, uh, that was very easy to do as far as just, you know, I, I really could empathize with how terrible it would be to be thrown in to a mandatory program and have to come. And that would feel really, really awful. And it was easy to empathize with that. But then pretty easily, it was also, you know, we could talk about, okay, well, now that we're here, we're kind of stuck together. What, how do we want to spend our time? What, what could be the best use of our time? And um, it wasn't really that difficult to try to make it useful and productive. And, um, and that's the open, that's where you can begin to hear where they are and what they are interested in. That's kind of start where they are. So even if it's like with the adolescent, it's like, okay, how can we get your parents off your back? Um, and then they begin to talk about that. Like, let's, let's get the goal of getting your parents off your back or, um, your wife wants you to talk a little bit more, huh? Like, I wonder why she wants it. Let's figure out why she's nagging you so much, you know, let's, so I think that there's a way to, uh, sort of join the resistance, if you will. Yeah. Let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsor. For those listeners out there that are therapists, most of us want to spend our time with our clients and not with the tedious paperwork and billing, scheduling, etc. Theranes provides practice management software that can really help and has helped thousands of therapists out there better manage and grow their practices. Now they've set up a special offer just for our listeners. You can try Theranes for free and then receive 20% off your first three months if you sign up at theranes.com slash therapist uncensored or go to our website and you can click on it from there. Thanks. I think and if we think about it from if you're out there listening and you're thinking about somebody that you want to help move from the unconscious to the conscious, that would be a really huge step. That's sometimes the most momentous step. And so if we're talking about not in the therapeutic hour, but it's your spouse or your child, or um, I think sometimes it also helps for you to talk about yourself instead of them. That's great. You know, where... You're, they might not be uncomfortable with their drinking, but you don't know what to do with your feelings around it and say, and to say, I'm having these feelings. I don't know what to do with my feelings because I'm beginning to feel uncomfortable and I'm unsettled. And so that you're coming to them in, in a way that's really authentic rather than, because if somebody's unconscious and you're trying to help them see that it's bad for them, well, they're not asking for help. Exactly. So you need to approach them with your needs of it so that they can turn towards you. And that might invite them to hear why their behavior is really distressing. I have an example of that. So let, let's say you're in a couple and your partner's smoking pot a lot and you don't. Um, that if you're coming at them with the dangers of pot and how pot's not good for them and, you know, it's just not good for you and stuff like that, it's probably going to fall on deaf ears. However, um, Given what you're saying, if I'm if I can say to them, if I'm the person that doesn't smoke, um, when you're, I can tell when you're high, and it makes me feel uncomfortable, and it makes me pull away, and I end up not talking to you as much, and I go in the other room, or I like if like what you're beginning to try to do is add like a pro and con list, like okay, we're gonna the consequences are gonna begin to pile up a little bit. Um, without shame and blame, but just this is how your behavior is affecting you. You get to still do your behavior, but I get to talk to you about how it feels to me. And I get to tell you that when you're high, it may feel good to you, Yes, but you're absent from me Yes, and your motivation is really low and your engagement and you're playing games and that's it's really not unappealing. Sexy. It's not sexy. So right. you get to keep doing it 
but I get to, to be honest with you and I don't need to pretend to be attracted to you at that moment. Right. And then the goal is it's going to push it into pre-contemplation or it's going to push it into conscious dysfunctional. The goal isn't to suddenly take a right turn and have them stop smoking. It's to begin to plant that seed of doubt and to begin to niggle and the, ooh, this isn't as fun as it used to be. They say that AA ruins your drinking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so does a spouse that begins to talk about their needs. <laughs> I think it's true with almost any behavior that's harmful. You know, you start to think about s- smoking cigarettes, right? If you your friends don't want to get in your car because it smells of cigarettes. If your, you know, spouse doesn't want to kiss you because your mouth smells like an ashtray. So it's sort of, it's sort of becoming conscious of the cost you're paying for this. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and I like what y'all both are saying. We probably don't want to then start pushing them to stop it or to change it because that's what's so important about understanding that these are stages because if you, then you're prepared for that. Because think of how often you try to get somebody to be aware of something they won't, and then they resist, and you feel deflated, and you've come back three or four times. If in your own body you expect all of a sudden your expression of discontent to equal their action, that's just not realistic. So that's why it's so important to understand and for the person themselves to go, you're going to go back and forth in these stages, and it's a really normal process, and you have to in some ways go through these stages, and they're expected. I also think it's important to explore what they get out of the addictive behavior. You know, what what is it that makes you want to drink? What is you know, what do you get out of it? Because they are they are filling their needs somehow and it's not just alcohol tastes good, you know. It reminds me of that really cool rat study that just came out and I'm not gonna be able to reference it because I don't know it off the top of my head, but it was the one where that most of the research on addiction in these little poor mammals, you know, they put the heroin or the opiate in the water bottle and there's a single rat and they, uh, you know, there's one water bottle and there's one opiate bottle. And of course they suck up all the opiate and to the point that they die. And so they're like, see, you know, drugs are addictive and they kill you or something. Um, but somebody had the brilliant idea of doing the same exact experiment, but putting the rats in this rat, uh, playland with a whole bunch of rich in this rich environment with, <clears throat> with lots of other rats with and lots of other rats this social environment with um it was Toys. a play it was a playground yeah. and, and exercise and grass and all kinds of cool things and the percentage of rats that ended up getting hooked was very very low and so there isn't this um it began to kind of look at what the um, cause of addiction really was. And then there's a natural experiment that's very similar of people coming back from Vietnam, where the, the rate of uh, addiction was extremely high with deployed sol- soldiers, but that most of them who came back actually didn't even have to be treated. They cleaned up right away and went back into their environments. So all this to say that um, this careful uh, attend, you know, it's a, it's a slight segue, but, um, this careful attending to where people are and giving them the right social support can make a really, really big change, which gets us to when people are actually trying to change that that's a little bit different. We can actually be a lot more active and provide more support and skill building and, um, help them garner more social support to make these small changes 
to help them be successful in this uh, brave sort of new skills that they're trying to learn. Yeah, and there's also environmental changes they have to make so that they can maintain the change. Because if they go back to the same friends and in to the, the bar or to wherever it or is. Or what about the Diet Coke, Patty? <laughs> well, that's a great example because both Sue and I drink Diet Coke. Speak for yourself. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I'll admit it. And two days addict. ago, there was an article that came out or the stu on a study that showed it had a big impact on dementia and stroke. Well, I've now moved into that conscious functional behavior because <laughs> I've cut Diet Coke out of my um, out of my diet because I really don't want dementia and stroke to be a big part of my life. I didn't have one today. Me either. Absolutely <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> so I think as as we're talking about those stages and you're in the talk about conscious dysfunction, I think one of the really important parts of that is to not shame each other in that and to not, you know, to push it so fast because they're in an that's ambivalent right. stage. They're ambivalent. And that's because what you're talking about is you're contemplating giving something up. Like you said, Patty, that has a lot of purpose for them. Seemingly it's serving something and so the idea of giving up is anxiety producing. So you've heard the reasons you need to. So you're feeling ambivalent. It's almost the choice between yourself and others sometimes. And to be able to be there in that ambivalence with them. And like, it must be scary, the thought. It must be really hard. And I really even appreciate you thinking about it. And to be connecting to that person in that ambivalent stage, rather than trying to shove them to the next one of action. That's a great point. I think that's exactly right. Because we don't want to sh accidentally shove them back into unconsciousness because it's so uncomfortable. Right. And they will go back. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to go back into unconscious. And each stage has a process of, of back and forth and back and forth. So it'd also be good to talk about, so how do we take it from the place of um, conscious dysfunction to, act to, to, to the next stage, which remind us what it's called? Which is unconscious function. Let's see if you can visualize the thing. We start out with a, and you know, we don't have to call it dysfunctional if that makes people feel bad, but I just sort of think that people can relate to it. So we start out with a, um, un unconscious dysfunctional behavior, whatever that unconscious is. Unconscious habit, unconscious addiction. Yeah. Right. Or a habit or what have you. And then it, it turns into a conscious dysfunctional or. In other habit. words, we're aware that we, right. that we want yeah, to we change this, but we're not, we, we haven't aware. changed it. And then now it's a conscious functional behavior. And then eventually, it's an unconscious functional behavior. Right. So right. the two end ones, we're not aware. And the two middle ones, we are aware. We're working really hard in the two yes, middle the ones. Yes, the two middle ones are a pain. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it's very act. That's why there's some pressure to pop it back into unconsciousness, because it's hard. Sure. It's hard to stay there. So, um, yes, you're right. So, and that, like, when we're in this uh, sort of conscious functional that if we can stay there long enough, that it really does become more routine. And, and and other podcasts that we did that you led that was really wonderful on habits, if you haven't listened to that yet, you should check it out. It's, uh, and re reviewed some really good research on um, changing habits that was really, really good. Um, and that that's where this would apply, where that we're, we're really working on it. It's active. And that when we stay there long enough, we'll reroute the neural networks and once that happens, it really does become an automatic sort of chunked behavior. That's how we talked about it before. 
and that then it's it becomes much more e- much more easy, much easier. Right. And you know, one thing that comes up as you're talking about that, I remember that in that podcast, the way you formed a new habit most effectively was to align it with your value system. And so part of how we can help the people we love who are struggling with addiction or our clients is to think about really aligning the new behavior with their values. That's right. So with this example, for example, of the pot and of the rats with the social environment system is that, and your thing about shame is that we love, love, love them. And we add the social support and we're going to, um, provide the incentive to draw them into this functioning, you know, uh, sort of into relationship. Uh, and you know, so you're saying to go from the step towards conscious function, yes, which is what we're meaning is that you're really going to make this attempt and this commitment to like what you were saying, this point of, I'm really going to give this a try. I'm going to really work. I'm going to, and you're starting to make active steps to do it and know that you're going to probably go back and forth, but you're really trying to inspire an environment that really helps them stay in that place and, and continue to try those behaviors. And And if you think of a 12 step program, that's exactly what they do. They say, we haven't got time to go out and create a new environment for you in your personal life. So we'll just bring you into this 12 step community into the rat playground. That's right. <laughs> With lots of support and Lots care. of support and people that you can reach out to at any time. Because to do that on your own, you know, you're basically leaving the old environment, the bar, for instance. You're leaving the old drinking buddies. And it's really hard to build that support on your own. You know, it, it, an AA is a perfect example of that. The thing that's crossing my mind, though, is it sounds like all of this is so easy and that we're going to be, our, our spouse or these individuals are going to be willing participants or our own bodies are going to be willing participants. But in reality, this is also a lot of place for anger and resistance to go back and forth. Don't push me. You know, so really it it sounds ideal sometimes to say set this nurturing loving environment for this person for example trying to stop drinking but trying to stop drinking is terribly difficult and scary and it's going to bring up a lot of conflict likely and so we kind of also need to be really realistic that as that person is making some attempts there may be some angry resistance that comes out some discussion some some fighting internally or even between one another. And that's a really uh, normal part of this process. Thank you for listening. We hope that you'll go to our website, therapistuncensored.com, sign up for our email list. And if you have time, rate us and write a review on um, iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly, Patty Alwell, and Sue Marriott. Becky Mandeville edits this podcast and provides technical support.